Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Someone asked, now that you're back from vacation, are you going to do the rest of Judges? And I said, no, we're not in Judges anymore. I just had the four Judges I wanted to to preach on. And they were a little disappointed because there are some exciting stories at the end of Judges. Uh, I warned you when we went through that series to make sure uh, you read it knowing it was not a G-rated book. And so if you want to continue studying the book of Judges, I believe our chairman of deacons, Tom Miller, would love to take you through some of the gory and disturbing details at the end of Judges. Now, certainly we'll have sermons on them going forward, but, uh, but this morning we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9, and I want to talk about the mountaintop. You've heard the expression mountaintop experiences or maybe being down in a valley. You know the analogy of the Christian life being full of ups and downs. Sometimes things are going well. Sometimes things are a struggle. And we hear sermon after sermon about the valley, how God wants to pull you out of the valley. And and I'll go ahead and tell you a portion of this sermon is dedicated to the valley. And you'll see the connection as we go on. But you don't hear a lot of conversations about the mountaintop. About how we're supposed to act when things are going well, when our faith feels strong. And so I want to look this morning in Mark chapter 9 at a mountaintop experience for three of the disciples. And maybe this morning you feel more like you're in a valley. Don't tune out. This sermon is for you. As a matter of fact, I have always been told we need to... to aspire to what we want to be. When I learned how to snow ski, I was a Florida boy, but we used to, as a church, take a trip up, did a youth retreat in North Carolina over a long weekend. And when I first learned how to snow ski, the the best advice I got was, when you get on your skis, don't look at the trees and the other people. Look at the open spot where you want to go and your feet will naturally follow. I found that to be true. When I was looking at somebody, my skis typically went over towards somebody. When I looked at an open space, my skis naturally drifted to that open space. We need to be looking at where we want to go, not just where we've been. My wife doesn't let me pick out my clothes, and for good reason. I've always been told to dress for the job you want, not the job you have. I love my job. I really do. But I had laid out some clothes this morning for me and Josiah that she would not let me wear, and I was really disappointed. We want to think about what we aspire to be, not what we currently are. One day I'll be Captain America. For now, I'll be Pastor Trey. I want to look at the mountaintop this morning. And maybe you feel like you're in a valley, but can we we pray and ask God to give us strength on the mountain? Can we aspire that God would build our faith up? Mark chapter 9 is a a somewhat confusing passage. You can find an account of this also in Matthew and in Luke. But we're going to read this account in Mark chapter 9 of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. So let's read this and we'll talk about that big word transfiguration as we go forward. Mark chapter 9 starting in verse 2 says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. We'll talk about exactly what that means. You'll get a piece of that as we read on. Verse 3. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. 
And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. This is a mountaintop experience for Peter, James, and John. This is an elation moment for them. In all the struggles that the disciples have, Jesus calls these three men up high to a mountain. And this transfiguration that changes or takes place changes the way they view who Christ is and changes the way they will carry out his mission. I want to talk about the transfiguration this morning and the mountaintop experience. Why does God give us mountaintop experiences? Why doesn't he always give us mountaintop experiences how do we get to the mountaintop and is that a place we should aspire to be if you're taking notes in your bulletin there are some fill in the blanks that you can write down in there now also i'm going to give you some extra things to write in the margins i hope you'll take notes and i hope you'll spend time praying over this passage in mark chapter 9 asking god to reveal himself fully As a matter of fact, that's what we find first about the mountaintop experience. God gives us the mountain to more fully reveal himself. The reason why we have these mountaintop experiences is because God wants to make himself known clearly to us. When we're in the valley and we're struggling, our faith feels weak. And we call out and want to know more about God but we have difficulty soaking in the character of God. We're so consumed by our circumstances, and God knows this, that it's difficult for us in that moment to grow in the knowledge of our faith. Instead, God is teaching us the practical things of life, the reliance on who He is. We have the mountaintop experiences so God can show Himself to us. Look at how Christ reveals himself to Peter, James, and John. There's a few things he does. The first we read in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Every once in a while, do you sit in church and think, that's a word that sounds nice, but I don't know what it means. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian for five minutes, five years, or 50 years. Sometimes there are words we just take for granted. Who in here knows what it means to be transfigured? Good, I'm not alone. We're okay. I thought I was hoping actually somebody would tell me so we could get on with this sermon, right? Transfigured just means this, really simple. It's just to mean to, to change, particularly to change in appearance. You think of like a a morphing. When I think of transfiguration, and I'm not big on the Transformer movies, but that's what my mind goes to, you know, this this car vehicle changing into this human being looking uh, machine. we, We have this change of appearance. And we find specifically in the book of Luke what it was about his appearance that changed. 
You don't have to turn there, but maybe put next to uh, your, your notes there, Luke chapter 9, verse 29. It says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. This is what happened at the transfiguration. Jesus' face became different. Now, what exactly is going on here? Why is Jesus' face changing? What's happening is that the disciples with him are now able to see Jesus more clearly for who he is. They get to see not only Jesus the man, but at this moment in time, they get a glimpse of Jesus as God. His physical face reflects his deity. If you're taking notes alongside, write that down. Jesus is God. How is he revealing himself to the disciples? He's showing these three men, not only am I the human you've been following, but I am God himself. We know that his face must change to reflect his deity because the Old Testament prophets tell us that his appearance was nothing to be marveled at. In the human form, Jesus was like everyone else in appearance. He looked like your average Joe. He was just your everyday man. He looked like every other Israelite around him. But in this moment, Peter and James and John get to see a side of Jesus that the rest of the world had not yet seen. Jesus reveals himself as God. His face is a reflection of his deity. Also, you see in Luke 9 that his clothing became dazzling white. His his cloak, which I'm sure was dirty from the the travels, probably started off as as a tan color to begin with. It transfigures and changes and becomes this bright, dazzling white. If you're back in Mark chapter 9, it gives us a more clear picture of what this whiteness looks like. And in Mark 9 verse 3, it says, His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. What is the significance of Jesus' clothes becoming white? Anytime in Scripture, if you're reading, and you read about something being pure white, it's a reflection of holiness. Here, if you're taking notes and jotting down in the margins, write down the word, Jesus is holy. He is perfect in every way. There is nothing about Him that has a blemish or an imperfection. And while the disciples knew of his perfection, while the disciples knew he never did wrong, this was them getting a glimpse that Jesus is even more perfect and holy than they even fathomed or imagined. I love the way Mark writes it down. His clothes became radiant. This wasn't just a a brightness, but it was a radiance. They were intensely white. Now, I'm not much for colors. I don't know my colors well. And if you start painting a room and you start talking about different shades, I'm lost. But you know, if you go to a paint store, there is more than one color white. Some of you know that. There's like a thousand different colors of white. Here we see that Jesus' robe becomes intensely white, but it's not like anything you can find in a paint store. The holiness that Jesus reflects here His perfection that he's showing is intensely white as no one else on earth could possibly bleach it. Jesus isn't just pure. He's a different level of pure. 
He's not just wearing white robes. He's a different shade of white. His holiness is beyond what Peter, James, and John can fathom. His holiness is beyond what the human eye would have seen. He reveals himself to Peter, James, and John as the the holy God, perfect in every way. It's on this mountaintop that Peter, James, and John deepen their faith in who Christ is because they see him as God and they see him as a whole nother level of holy. I'd like to think that one day when we are face to face with Christ for the first time in heaven, that we would react and see this brightness the way Peter, James, and John are witnessing it now. That we will fall back and say, the the radiance of my God is so pure and so perfect. And we would fall down in worship. Jesus reveals himself as God. He is God. Jesus reveals himself as holy or as perfect. He is holy and perfect. But then there are two figures that appear with him. In verse 4, there appeared with them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, this was something that would be unusual to say the least, although there were some prophecies that these men, Elijah and Moses, would return. As a matter of fact, in some of the other Gospels, the disciples actually asked Jesus about Elijah coming back, and Jesus says, Elijah has come back, and he, he references John the Baptist as the new Elijah, the, the one who is proclaiming repentance, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. But this isn't just a second Elijah. This is Elijah reincarnated here on the mountaintop. This isn't just someone representing Moses. This is Moses himself appearing before the disciples. This really is amazing in many aspects. But for starters, does anybody know how Elijah exited the earth? Does anybody remember? He's one of only a few people who did not experience a physical death. So Elijah appearing may seem weird, but understandable to Peter, James, and John. If you read in the Old Testament, we see a chariot coming down to pick up Elijah, consumed with fire. Elijah steps on the chariot, and off he goes to be with the Lord. Him appearing again would have been significant. But it would have been understandable. His body is still out there somewhere. But Moses, Moses did not have such a graceful exit from the earth. No, Moses experienced death. He was buried, and and very likely there was a place you could have gone to that would have been the general vicinity of where Moses was buried. He experienced death, and his physical body would have experienced the same decay that the rest of physical bodies would have experienced. Moses, standing before the apostles, would have been a sight because Moses did die. And now here he is with a brand new, radiant, shining body. These two Old Testament heroes are standing and talking with Jesus. There's a reason why it's Moses and Elijah who appear. Moses represents the Old Testament law. As a matter of fact, anytime you read about Moses all throughout 
the duration of the Old Testament and New Testament, it's almost always in reference to giving the law to the people, knowing right from wrong. Moses appears as a representative of the law of the Old Testament. Elijah, most often when you hear about him after his exit from earth, is a reference of being a voice of God. He is the token prophet, the one who proclaims repentance that the kingdom of heaven is near. So here, standing before Jesus, is a representation of the law, what's right and wrong, and the prophets, what God wants you to do. And in doing so, Jesus has a conversation with them. We don't get to know what this conversation is about. But while I don't know the content, I I know the structure. This wasn't Elijah and Moses showing up to tell Jesus what he needed to do. Without a doubt, this was Elijah and Moses coming to worship God in the flesh and saying, Jesus, what do you need me to do? This was the law and the prophets subjecting themselves to Jesus Christ. This was the entire Old Testament standing before Jesus saying, we are here to serve you. In doing so, Jesus clearly reveals himself that he is the chosen one out of that Old Testament. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is Messiah. He's the one. He is the the promised, holy, perfect Lamb of God who has been sent to take away the sins of the world. Peter, James, and John certainly knew there was something special about this Jesus. They certainly worshipped Him and had heard about Him being God. They certainly knew that He was holy. They certainly hoped that He was the Messiah. But in this moment... On the mountaintop, Jesus reveals himself so clearly that Peter, James, and John get to physically see his deity. They get to experience his pure holiness. And they get to know with certainty that this is the Messiah come promised for salvation. What was their response to this revelation of Christ? On the mountaintop, as God reveals himself, what is the response of Peter, James, and John? Just as an appropriate question also, is what is your response when God reveals himself to you? When you read his word and he he teaches you, what is your response? Well, Peter, James, and John uh, probably uh, all thought the same thing. Peter is the spokesman here. Peter said to Jesus in verses 5 and 6, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. A couple of responses that Peter, James, and John had to this mountaintop experience. First, they didn't want to leave. Let's build some structures and some tents. Why don't we hang out here for a little while, Christ? Hey, hey Jesus, wouldn't it be great if we, we could just stay on the mountaintop? I'm going to build a tent for you and for Elijah and for Moses. And I want to be in your holiness and in the presence of you as God for forever. Can we just stay on the mountaintop? They didn't want to leave. When we're in God's presence, when we're on the mountaintop, when we feel like things are going right, don't, don't we 
react the same way. God, can we just stay here? Can you just leave me on the mountain? There was another reaction they had, and I think it's a perfectly appropriate one. In verse 6, it says they didn't know what to say. Peter didn't know what to say. Why? Because they were terrified. There was a genuine fear of God in this moment, wasn't there? Sometimes we hear about the fear of God being explained as a, a respect or an awe or a reverence, and all of those things are true. But can we remember that sometimes the fear of God is exactly what it says? There is a fear of who God is? You see, when we step into the presence of a perfect and holy God, we recognize that we are imperfect and unholy. And we should rightly be afraid. We should look at His excellence and say, I am not worthy to be here. Peter has no idea what to say because he's terrified. We don't live up to, to this rabbi we're following. Perhaps he wanted to stay on the mountaintop because he was afraid. Now that he knew who Jesus was, that Jesus would say, see, you're not good enough for me. Maybe Peter's begging, can we just please stay in your presence? I think that's an appropriate response when we get to know who God is. God, can we just, can we just stay with you? We're not worthy, but would you, would you have us? They didn't know what to do. So God the Father tells them. Well, I'm so thankful that when we experience God, when we get into His Word and we, we start to see who He is, that we don't have to be confused. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. So God the Father shows up in verse 7. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Here's the, obe- uh, the obedience. Listen to Him. How do we respond when Jesus is being revealed to us? Listen to Him. Do what He says. Submit to Him. God is revealing Himself to you, not just so you can know about Him, but so that you can follow Him, so that you can invest in Him. How do we respond when God reveals Himself to us on the mountaintop? Be obedient and listen to what He says. God gives us the mountain so that we can know who God is more fully. But the reality is, we're not always on the mountaintop. I confess to you, even as a pastor, believe it or not, our family has peaks and we have valleys. And 2019 has not always been a peak for us. Maybe in your life, you feel less on the mountaintop and more on the valley. Maybe it's been a struggle for you lately. Maybe you're longing for Jesus to grab you and take you up to the mountain, but for now, he, He's pulling you through the valley. Well, there's a reason why we have a mountaintop experience as well, and that's because God gives us the mountain to prepare us for that valley. Our strongest moments in life, the moments of our, our great faith, our gifts to prepare us for our hardships in the valleys of life. The problem is we never want to leave the mountain. We never want to go through the valley. We always want to experience that fullness, that greatness. But what has happened to us is that we get so content on the mountaintop that when we get pulled from the valley, we have resentment. God, why did you bring me down here? God, why couldn't you have left me in my place of strength? We see this is exactly what we read about in 
Mark 9, 5, Peter says, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Can we just stay? Can we just be here? God, I don't want to go through the hardships. I want to always have strength in life. But God has never promised us a life full of peaks. As a matter of fact, Jesus has promised in this world you will have trouble, you'll go through a valley, and you will, you will fall. Those times of strength are times that we recharge, we grow in our faith, so we are prepared for that valley. Why exactly does God make us leave the mountain? Wouldn't it be great if God could just give us a life of peaks? A nice tall plateau where we could experience Him forever? What happens in this passage is as soon as they come down from the mountain, there's a large crowd and they're arguing with each other. They're fighting with each other. And when they see Jesus, they're ready for Jesus to solve all their problems and they run to him rejoicing, Jesus, will you help us? A man comes and and asks for him to to cast out demons and, and all of a sudden there's ministry to be done. You see, ministry doesn't always happen on the mountaintop. When we start to get involved in ministry, when we listen to what Christ tells us to do, it often drags us to places we we didn't think we wanted to be. But it's in those valleys that God reaches us and reaches others. You see, there's a, a world of lost people in the valley. There are people who need to know Jesus Christ, and they're not up on the mountaintop. And they're not going to hear about the message of Christ unless we go down Watch them arguing, watch them fighting, watch them struggle, and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ saves. We're called to do ministry. We find in verse 10 that they keep the matters to themselves and they they have a question among themselves of what rising from the dead might mean. When we're on the mountain, we can't fathom what the valley looks like, but the valleys will come. Draw strength from the mountaintop. We see these four men on the mountaintop, Jesus, John, James, and Peter, all were going to go through significant valleys in the not-too-distant future. Jesus himself goes from the mountaintop, and there's really a constant descent through the rest of the book of Mark, leading to the cross where he's crucified. We see John, the, the only apostle who was not killed for his faith, but was stranded on an island left alone towards the end of his life in his old age, abandoned by by many. We see James, who became a, a prominent pastor in Jerusalem. But tradition tells us he was one of the first of all of the disciples to get killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. We look at a man named Peter, who tradition tells us was also killed for his faith and was crucified like Christ was crucified. Except Peter didn't think he was worthy He had seen the perfect Christ. He didn't think he was worthy to be crucified the way Christ was. So he requested that they crucify him painfully upside down. And tradition tells us that he was martyred and killed for his faith on a cross, hanging from his feet to his head. These are men who who couldn't fathom the valley, but were going to go through it. Jesus has given them the mountaintop so they can draw strength. There's a reason why I think Peter could look his executioner in the eye and say, do with me what you will. It's because he knew who Christ was. When we're going through the valley, 
We need to look back at the times we've had that Christ has given us strength. We need to remember His faithfulness to us in salvation. Are you on a mountaintop this morning? Use this as an opportunity to be refreshed. Learn all that you can about the Word of God and let God reveal Himself to you so you will be ready and you will be able to draw strength. Soak in the fullness of Christ. This morning, are you in a valley? Look back and recall the day of your salvation. Remember the good things that God has done for you. Remember how He has given you strength and the promise that He will give you strength. This morning, if you're in a valley and you can't look back and recall a day of salvation, if you've never had that moment of God revealing Himself to you and you embracing salvation by putting your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, maybe this morning is a mountaintop God is calling you to. Maybe here this morning, God is showing Himself. Jesus is revealing Himself to you as a perfect, holy God whose desire is to to make you perfect and holy through salvation. This morning, maybe you need to call on the name of the Lord and make this your mountaintop experience. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for the good times in our faith where we're growing and being strengthened. Because you reveal yourself to us in those moments and you give us strength to go through the difficulties of life. Father, many of us confess to you that we are not in a position of strength in our faith right now. Father, we're hurting. We're in need. Father, quite honestly, we're part of the crowds that are arguing at the bottom of the mountain. Lord, let us remember the moment of our salvation. Let us remember the times that you've given us strength. Let us recall those verses that we've studied on the the moments of our mountaintop experience. Lord, let us rely on your fullness and your goodness to us. Lord, there may be some in here this morning who have no recollection of that mountaintop. Lord, they've never experienced salvation in you. Father, reveal yourself to them this morning as the Messiah, the one who saves from sin, forgives sin. Lord, give them a, a fear and a terror in your presence that calls them to a saving knowledge of you where there's peace and comfort. Father, we thank you for the mountains and we thank you for calling us off the mountain. Lord, let us now follow you. Let us listen to you. Let us do what you command. It's in your name we pray. Amen.